Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. The series, or it's not even a series, I've, I've been deliberately not doing a series. I've been wanting to respond to what I sense God's just been wanting to say. One, one of the leader's um, chief uh, tasks, chief things that we must do uh, to, to effectively lead is to define reality, is to, is to understand the times and to uh, help God's people uh, not only survive but flourish in those times. And you're living in a very disruptive time. Has anyone noticed, actually noticed that? Uh, uh, I was born in the 60s and we thought it was disruptive then. Uh, Vietnam and uh, JFK was assassinated uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Bobby uh, Kennedy. It was disruptive times, I thought. You know, I was a young type going, man, now the Beatles are broken up. You know, what's the world coming to? But um, you're in a, you're, what's happening at the moment is you're, you're, at the, you're riding the wave in your day-to-day life. You may have noticed that even though tech, tech is growing, uh, connectivity is growing, uh, life's uh, more push-button, easier, instant than it's ever been, you're probably finding your soul is more exhausted than it's ever been and you're feeling more disrupted than you've ever been. That's because globally the, the way that we're riding right now is, is the beginning, it's not even the cusp, it's, it, we're, we're well and truly into it, the third industrial revolution. And what happens in those times, it's actually a great time of flourishing for the gospel coming. Uh, as humanity goes through societal change and we can only sustain that change at a certain pace. It normally takes a generation or so uh, for the economy, for the human heart, uh, for the systems to catch up with that. In the, in the uh, beginning of the 1800s, if you're a student of history, you'll know that uh, there was a big shift in communication, industrialisation, transportation. We had steam, we had telegraph uh, and so on. And it ushered in a new age and, and it was a very disruptive age because those who were living in farms came into the big cities. We see uh, in England, for example, Manchester, Liverpool, Bristol, these great, uh, what, what were essentially not more than villages, became uh, mega complexes. And it, was not, it didn't augur well for those coming in and working in there. It was an incredibly disruptive, painful time, hard for many people. But uh, following on from that, um, the gospel came under challenge because with every major societal revolution comes a questioning of spirituality. So the age of reason came in at that same time. The gospel came under threat, Darwinism came through and so on. Then we hit the beginning of the 1900s and and another industrial revolution hit uh, with petroleum, the motor car, the telephone, radio, television came in. And again the gospel came under threat from another couple of angles, liberalism came in. um, uh, And in in the cafes of France at the end of the 1800s, particularly, began some ideas were seeded that come to challenge religion, society, uh, structures of politics, and fascism began, communism began, they were seeded as untested ideas. And as those ideas began to flourish in their own form and found their own extremities, we saw outcomes like the Holocaust, we saw outcomes like uh, Stalin and uh, the uh, 30 million, I think it was, um, Soviets uh, who paid the price with their lives for those ideas that were brought in and untested. So now we're coming into another industrial revolution where um, economy, communication has shifted radically with the internet and the social world. We're seeing energy systems uh, be disrupted as renewable energy comes in and we begin to find new solutions to that. 
transport, GPS, communications, satellite logistics controlled by those sort of systems and so on. As they're coming in now, we're, we're at the, be the beginning edge of that disruptive moment. And the gospel is coming under threat through a new untested idea, which uh, is called secular, secularism, which is essentially, let's do this, let's hyper-individualistic, let's do this without God. Um, and it's an untested idea. And yet, society is essentially, Western society has put all its chips on that number. And so again, the gospel comes under threat and, and we, we, we feel the tension of this as we see our kids uh, struggle because the only ideas they're hearing in strength and, and uh, assumed reason are the secular ideas. And so the church needs to re-navigate this space. And then you need to re-navigate this space. So that disruption you'll feel, that exhaustion you feel, that's partially why. You're in, you're, this, this wave has risen over the last uh, 20 years and now you're on it. And so coming out of that, I'm convinced, will become another revival time. Uh, as we saw revival in the, in the uh, 1800s, we saw revivals in the 1900s, we'll see revivals again. Because the gospel is doing fine. Church, perhaps not. Gospel, kingdom is doing fine. As the spirituality of life and people long for eternity and understand that there's, there's something eternal resonating in their heart, they're looking for the answers. They understand there's more here than what secularism is promising with his untested idea. And so the gospel, there'll always be room in the human heart, uh, receptivity to the gospel, but we need to change the way we present that. So we, we come uh, in the life of a disciple, which is you, to understanding how to resonate with this world. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Now, I'm not sure how the, uh, whether the lights are any different today. I'm not quite seeing my notes too well, but we'll see how we go. If that can be adjusted a smidge, that'd be awesome, but I'll survive. In the, this is a similar season. We talk about a season of disruption. Um, I like to throw disruption into the, into the mix a bit. I'm a bit of a disruptor. Communion this morning was a disruption for the team. It's like, how is this going to work? Um, we, got, we got there, didn't we? So hang in there while we try these sorts of ideas. Thanks, guys. You're, you're awesome. Um, but Jesus did this too. Jesus was a disruptor. And just, just his very presence uh, pushed back on the boundaries of, of uh, the humanism and the politics of the day, religion and so on. So Luke chapter 5, verse 33 there's pushback coming his way because Jesus just it refuses to do religion the way it's supposed to be. He refuses to be the Messiah they hope for. He's, he's come as a suffering servant and he's challenging the norms of religion. So um, they said to him, they, they being the uh, Pharisees and so on, are pushing back. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make... Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. And he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the wineskins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And I just love his last comment. And, and no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. <laughs> Everybody over 45 is now going, oh no, here we go. The old is out, the new is in, we want the old back again. Not quite. Because there's some things about the old, see, in, in the era that we're in, 
because it's an era that, that, that throws everything up for grabs. Have you noticed that? Everything, because we're, we're, everything's being disrupted. Everyone goes, well, let's disrupt the whole lot. Let's question marriage. Let's question all these issues that are not going away. I just had a weekend with some pastors and they were, the biggest thing that's making them lose sleep right now is how do we navigate a space where we look at things that have been accepted as truth by Jesus, by the, by the, the epistles, by Paul, by church world, all denominations spread what are now literally being put up for question as if the, 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 the fact that the question's being asked is permission granted to, to, to try something new. How do we navigate this space when human hearts are at stake and the acceptance of, of a community where, where this wineskin needs to be able to flex and we need to be able to protect the core at all costs but still relate to a world that's in desperate need of a saviour? And so this tale that Jesus gives, this parable, has a, has a sting in it because he's trying to navigate this space where he's looking like he's bringing in a change in everything. Is there any form to what you're doing, Jesus? Are you just thrown out the last couple of thousand years of Judaism? They're, they're getting worried, they're getting protective and so on. And so this, this idea of wineskins comes to the fore just as it needs to come to the fore to you and I right now because uh, we need to discover what is the core, what is changing, how do we relate as a human being with the people that I'm surrounded with at work? How do I stay relevant? How do I address the questions that they're asking? Because the issue of wineskins, if you look at the way Jesus has framed this, he's saying the wine is essentially what God is giving. It's, it's God's supply. It's the wine of his spirit. It's the presence of God in the world. And he's saying the programs and the systems and the way that we live our life as Christian people, uh, we are that wineskin. And if we can't flex, not only with the wine, which is changed, which is new, because the wine is always given by God as a supply to the real world with its real needs, with its real hungers. God's heart is for those who are out there. He wants to meet their needs, so he provides a new wine. And it's not the wine that he presented to the world in the 50s, even the 70s or the 90s. There's new wine because there's new needs out there, and he wants to meet the world's needs. Your job as a Christian is to be the wineskin. And the wineskin resonates with the outside world, can understand, it can flex with that somewhat and can, can adjust its skin while preserving the core. And the wineskin's not supposed to burst. Sometimes uh, in some circles I've been in in decades past, it's, oh, let's burst the wineskins. Let's just let, you know, God out and let's be out of control. Let's have no order. Let's not prepare a message on Sunday. Let's just wing it, you know, as if that's a godly experience, you know. But it's not. And it's... And, it, we're, we're designed to retain the wineskins. They're supposed to stay flexible. That's the whole point of this story. But the wineskins have a little tap and they're to meter out the grace of God in a way that can be digested and absorbed by the world. We're, we're, we're supposed to present this gospel, to, to steward the spirit in a way that the world can resonate. And so that's the whole point of the wineskins. So God never changes. The message never changes. The core never changes. The need for redemption, the need of a saviour. The need for relationship with Jesus, that doesn't change. But the way we live that out in our world needs to flex a little bit. Now what I'm going to do, I'm just going to, uh, for, those, for the PowerPoint, I'm going to skip the whole next page of notes. Just to get him nervous. What we need to understand is these times that we're living in. And I want to present to you some of the ways that we need to shift as individuals to accommodate and understand the world that you're in so that you can flex with it and that we can flex as a fellowship because the way we do church here, even though it looks much the same on a Sunday, uh, 
is designed and to design to flex as a wineskin that can engage with the world. So there's going to be a number of shifts. Some I'm going to just flick through quickly. Some I'll, um, I'll go a bit slowly. Bless that bubble, Lord. Bless mum. Love the kids. It's okay. The first shift is really in the way we do church. Now, when I say do church, I'm not talking about Sunday. I'm talking about how we do this thing called Ecclesia, that God's people. How do we do this? Because church is up for grabs these days. You can have a better experience of a message uh, on a podcast. Uh, you can get a better experience of pure musical quality on YouTube. So why do we come here on a Sunday? And, and why, what are we doing in church world? And uh, one of the things we need to flex in straight away and that, that uh, has been one of the hardest shifts for churches to, to, to contemplate is turning us from being uh, people like myself, from being ministers to being multipliers, to stop being the one who does stuff to being the one who equips people because you are the ministers. I can't be out in the world. I'm, I'm, uh, I am as much as I can, but there's 150 or so of you here today. You are out in the world. So my role is not to do everything. I'm not the parish priest here anymore. There is no parish anymore. We don't come to a place like this because our horse and cart only goes two miles and this is our, our local church. People are coming here today from, from 30 kilometres or more away. Um, and, and my role is not to do everything in ministry. Ephesians 4 is really clear on that. The, the minister's role, the teacher's role, the equipper's role is to, is to leverage that and equip you for the difficult world that you're in. And so that's a, that's a, that's a change in MO. I've got to change that right now. Um, I'm changing the way I do my work life. I need to stop doing everything because this church is here largely because we're trying to wrestle some volunteers together and, and, and have a church start. You know, I was doing 70 hours a week to do that. I can't keep doing that in that way. I can't keep doing everything. Now it's your turn. Now it's time for me to switch and equip you and build you and equip others who can build you. And so whoever's coming on as a leader is coming on as a multiplier. We're not putting them on to do stuff. They're coming in there to equip you to do that. That's a shift. There's a, way, there's a change in the way that we personally engage with the world. We, we change from being consumers to being contributors. See, up to even 10 years ago, it was completely accepted that this is, this is what church looks like, not ecclesia, a group of people. Church is what happens on Sunday, and all the chairs point this way, and there's one person using their gift for 40 minutes, and this is what church is. This is now not what church is. This is just what we do on Sunday, and this may change because we're not married to the strategy. We're married to the goal. The goal is to make disciples and, and send them into all the world to make more disciples, the goal is not to have a big church. The goal is not to have people turn up on Sunday, though I pray that you come every Sunday because it honours those who do and it raises the value of what we do here. Don't skip Sunday just because you want to be lazy that day. Every time you come, it matters. Every time. But I understand also we're living in an age where we've got to understand life is not what it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. You are busier than you were. There are more demands on you than there used to be. Sundays are like gold for you. It's not the optional day where I just do what I want now. There's kids and there's sport and there's all the stuff going on. And we need to decide what is important and why is this important? Why do we keep doing it? But this is not the goal. This is the strategy. So you've got to see how all this begins to change. All this needs to be considered. And so it used to be we turn up on Sunday and consume. I was like that. I loved that. I, I'm, a, I'm a knowledge guy. You turn up and you want to have an, a well-informed Bible teacher bring you something solid from the Word of God. And, and the more, the better. You know, give me 50 points. It's fine. I'll, I'll swallow that and I'll go away feeling fed. It's largely different to that now. The, the generation coming up, 
then they're looking for, for something else besides that, and I'll go into that in a moment. They need more than that because they can be informed from anywhere. They're, they're suffering from information overload. The noise out there is deafening and not saying anything at all when it's all added together. We don't just need more information. So we've got to turn from becoming consumers uh, to becoming contributors all week and shifting that Sunday is just one part, but church is all week. We're going to meet in groups. We're going to uh, have, expand the group times. We're going to have midweek things happening. We're going to have outreaches that, that meet the, the world where they're at, resonate with their, their stress and their marriage and their kids and so on. That's all coming up soon. We've got to shift the way we view religion. Uh, from, and that's happening. It's happened already. We're, we're, we just need to admit that it's happened. The, that religion and churches are not hyper-defined like they used to be. We used to have the Pentecostals and the Catholics and the Anglicans and the Brethrens and the Presbyterians and the Baptists and the Lutherans and they're all there in their little box, highly defined and I was born into that and that's what I always do. Those, days, those walls have dissolved, largely dissolved down and we're all essentially Protestants. We're, we're all those that have a basic evangelical belief but um, the, the definitions are now, are now gone of, of the hyper-homogenous um, forms where in this church, all nations are welcome. Uh, whatever your background, you're welcome. Whatever your spiritual maturity, you're welcome. There's no perfect people allowed. That's the only thing that we, we enforce here. Um, so it's, it's less defined and more encompassing. Um, and we're forming now more uh, mini networks of like-hearted fellowships, where denominations are dissolved and their effect has dissolved largely, they still serve quite a purpose to support churches and so on, but church life is being formed by churches who are joining together in families and networks that of five or ten churches that, that are giving strength to each other. Even this week, just formed a, what seemed to be a natural relationship with another church uh, 20 minutes north of us, and just, we can just see, I, I just won't be surprised if, if we become like, almost like sister churches, same heart, same vision, but they're strong where we're not strong yet. We're very strong where they have nothing and so there'll be this sharing and community amongst us. And it's just so healthy. It's just so wonderful to be able to join like that. There's going to be a growth shift and this is one very close to my heart where we go from being a, a, a focus on growing a church to one that grows uh, disciples. And this is the same for your life. That you, God's called us to be disciples who go out and make disciples. And uh, we're running off the back of the church growth movement, of which I was a student years ago, where you just do a few certain things as a formula, have the right size building and programs and song, and you will build a group of people. Um, great. What's the fruit of that? Undefined. That, that, it may be a healthy group of people or it might be unhealthy, but it doesn't matter. We built a church. Hey, it's awesome. Isn't that great? Job done. Trouble is, Jesus said he's going to build the church. And the way he builds a church is different to the way we tend to build a church because we measure success by who turns up on Sunday, not who's building disciples on Monday. And that's how you're supposed to measure church. So Jesus said, you, make, you go and make disciples and I'll build the church. Is that okay? So that's the deal I struck with him if I said yes to coming here. I said, Jesus, you build the church and I'll focus on making disciples. Are we good? Great. So this is how it begins to look, uh, and there's a different focus, a different way we do things, and my energy goes much more into building people than it does into building a crowd on Sunday. I, I hope you're all okay with that. Um, but I love you all. <laughs> so that landscape has changed, and um, what we have to in include in that is understand that our, the reality is that our tribe, our personal tribe, 
may not always be our church. I, I hear more and more, and I, and I actually love this sort of dynamic that's shifting, is so now and again you'll hear people say, um, my sporting group is doing a better job of church than the church is. And you could take that as an insult, but I take, it as a, I take that as a win. I'm thinking, this is fantastic. So you, 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 you mean when, I, when you're riding your bike or, or whatever it is, there's more in common with those people, you, you connect more easily. And that's obvious because there's more, because relationships build with proximity and common interest, don't they? And so that's great. So you're a disciple in that context, able to build disciples and bring those people into the kingdom. Because when you have a tribe, the, the acceptance, the, the, un, the, the unstated but known acceptance factor is huge. So a mechanic suddenly gets access to a lawyer who would normally never coexist together, but because they wear the same lycra or they're running beside each other, it's just like, we're good mates, we're good, eh? And, um, and it's incredible the buy-in that you can get from people just by being in that same sort of tribe environment. And church, it's true, church doesn't do that like it used to because we don't have the, we're not sharing proximity through the week like we used to do 30 or 40 years ago, where we spent all of our time together and this was always our tribe. But the, but the focus goes in when we do that. We start becoming self-feeding. We want to have programs that fuel that. I love the idea that we're all out there in different tribes, in our workplace, in our exercise and, and our hobbies, but be, be intentional in that space. God's given you that space and be, be Jesus' person in that space because you're becoming a disciple and a disciple maker, not just an attender in church. There's a, way, a change in the way we encompass generations. There's a shift from, from the older to the younger. Now, don't worry if you've got grey hair. I've got, got a few. I'm not talking about you becoming redundant. I'm not talking about us losing our value of the old. In fact, exactly the opposite. The great thing I love about the current era is that those who are, say, over 40, over 50 especially, where uh, a generation past felt uh, rejected, felt a little bit uh, not needed, not valued, now the younger generation is coming through and going, we want mentors, we need to learn because this second half of life we've come to realise you've got energy, you've got time, you've got experience, you've got resources. There's so much there to offer another generation that's lost and distracted and doesn't know where to go and what to do and how to build character. And so this older generation now is more and more valuable. But the way we do that is, is um, a, a mindset of succession, not of redundancy. So an older generation now needs to begin to grow and say, my best use of my time is not to keep doing stuff like I used to do, it's to resource another generation in how to live the same principles that have gotten me through and to leverage all that I am and to mentor and to grow and to support and to love and to grow the next group going on. Psalm 71.18 says, Even when I'm old and grey, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare there's all power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. In other words, there's a, a real sense that my job is not complete until I've brought a whole heap of people along with me and I've let them stand on my shoulders and they go beyond me. And I'm happy about that. That's a fulfilment of life. I love Hebrews 11.39, this picture of, of generational faith where it says they were all commended for their faith, talking about the Old Testament prophets and so Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. It's saying all that they lived for, all that they saw coming, they didn't see it themselves, but they're seeing it in us. And, and my 
destiny, my, my fruitfulness in life is somehow resting on what they've done before me and I'm the fulfilment of their dream and their promise. And my fulfilment comes from the next generation as I pr- prepare and, and, and send them forward. And there's a joining of purpose and kingdom that's generation after generation after generation and it values each one. And there is no generation gap, there's it's a generation bridge as we, we value and love each one. And there's just something wonderful and kingdom about that. The next one is a shift in the way we meet on Sunday and we're still trying to navigate that sort of space, the way Christians do this stuff called Sunday church. And it's a shift from being a downloadable experience to an experiential experience. Does that sound a bit... I don't know why that's funny. Um, A downloadable experience is one where, oh, I couldn't make it to church on Sunday, it's okay, Pat's going to put the podcast up on Sunday night. That's downloadable. It's where I tune into Bethel or Hillsong on YouTube and uh, that's my worship done for the week. Downloadable. See, what, what happens here on Sunday can't continue to be a downloadable experience. And we're learning this, and, and I'm just asking, I guess, to help us to grow in this because we, we need this to be a place where the, where the unique environment, where the synergy of faith, of God's people coming together, this is why it is so vital that we come together with a sense of expectancy, of praise and worship, because God inhabits the praises of his people. And there's a certain uh, differentiation of the, the experience of God, the manifest presence of God that comes when people come, and they're coming to serve, they're coming to bless, not just to be a spectator, but they're walking in that door and they're saying, I'm here, Lord, how could you use me in this place? Who can I bless? Who can I pray for? Who don't I know? That's the person I've got to avoid. No, it's who don't I know, that's the person I want to meet, I want to encourage. That's the person I want to love on because they've probably come and because I don't know them, maybe they're not known and they need to be known. So that when you walk in this door, you're a minister. When you walk in this door, you're coming to a place where God's presence is here and there's more power here and there's more anointing here and you can, you can dwell in God's presence, you can receive ministry, you can be prayed for and you can experience stuff that you can't download. If we can't do that, then we'll stop doing Sundays. And if this doesn't serve a purpose to build your life and build the kingdom, then this energy and this money and this time could be better spent doing other stuff. Because this is a strategy, it's not the goal. This is a whole new game now. And you know, New Testament church looked great to me. They met in houses, you know, they, they, they overtook the world through doing that. This is a man-made system that serves our generation. That as soon as it ceases to serve it, then we've got right to question it. Have I unsettled you yet? <laughs> Welcome to my unsettledness. I, I, just, I live in, in a disrupted state. I live agitated. You know? <laughs> Cause I, one, because I get bored very easily, but I'm just very aware that this, this world that we're living in, is everything is up for question for them. They're, they're, they're asking the question, does the church have a right to exist? In years gone past, when there was a big social upheaval going on, you'd see on the six o'clock news, not there's a cat being saved by two firemen, there'd be, the, there'd be the, the Archbishop of Sydney or Brisbane, there'd be the Catholic head of the diocese making a comment on the social change and the world looked to them as leaders. They looked to them for their opinion because the moral input mattered. Now you don't see that. Has anyone noticed that shift? You will not see that very often at all. They'll ask the local member, they'll ask... Um, Uh, a 16-year-old Swedish girl who gets on and speaks at the UN. What do you think? How about someone who knows what they're talking about who's lived more than 15 years? You know, how about we get some considered opinions in here and not just play the game on a gamble of who's got the loudest voice? 
So that's been a shift. Sorry, I'm starting to rock my own boat now. There's a power shift that's happening. We, we, we start to consider, in whom do we trust with my life? In whom do we trust? Do I trust myself and how hard I can work and how faithful I can be? Or do I need to shift into, into trusting God, not myself? It's a power shift. Who's in charge of my life? And part of the legacy of the age that we're in is this whole thing, I can do this, I've got this, I've got this. Sometimes we've got to say, I haven't got this, I'm not supposed to got this, God's got this. And getting back to this point where we understand we can't do church, we can't do Christianity, we can't do anything the way we're called to do without God helping us. And spiritual power is found predominantly and accessed through personal and corporate prayer. And uh, I'm just really encouraged at the moment because um, our elders and, and just the, the general People in our, in our fellowship here are just saying we need to be praying more. And so if that's you, if you resonate with that, if you want to be praying with us, even on Sunday morning now, we have a prayer meeting here, 7.30 it starts, uh, in the room back here. Come and pray. Pray for our church. Pray for our city. Pray for the, the, the service that's coming. Um, we have prayer ministry teams. We have all sorts of stuff that's starting to bubble now. We need to rely more and more on God. Every movement of evangelism that really is effective is birthed in prayer. It's birthed in a reliance on God. Every revival hinges on a bended knee. You look at the evangelism strategy in, in the, the book of Acts, Acts 2.42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, breaking bread, fellowship, and to prayer. Prayer. They were devoted to prayer. This was their evangelism strategy. Let's pray. Let's not learn how to share the gospel better. Let's just pray. And as they prayed, the people came. It's prayer that's going to change this city. And that requires personal desire. You can't fake this thing. It, it requires faith. It requires persistence. And it requires an ability to listen to God. So it's a change, it's a shift. And uh, the lens that I put on every program that we run and, and what we do here on a Sunday is have we, are we trying to do this without God's presence being required in what we do? Are we asking Him? Are we welcoming Him? Because I know, and in years gone by, the most neglected person in the church has been the Holy Spirit. We've learned to welcome each other, but we haven't gone out of our way to welcome him. The one we represent, the one we've come here to talk about. It's like we talk about him like he's not in the room, but he's here. Imagine if Jesus came and sat right next to you. Do you think the thought processes would change? Do you think the faith level would change? Do you think the way we deal with each other would change? Yes, it would. Well, guess what? He's right here. He's sitting right next to you now. And what happens here matters. What we do with each other really matters. And so it's a shift from relying on self and how smart and how slick we can be, whether the PowerPoints work or not, or whether the guitar's in tune, or, or whether I can speak fluently or not. We cease relying on that, and we're relying on God's presence the way it's supposed to be. We've just gotten, I think, almost too good at doing church. We've made it too comfortable. Those seats are too comfortable for you. The bread, not everyone likes the bread around here. Great. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus. Sometimes it's just good to have something just not perfect for us, you know. Anyway, I'm just stirring. We're, there's another shift, um, and this will be the last one for today. It's a shift in the focus of the way we do life, the focus of our faith. It's from form to freedom. It's a change from a focus on teaching you how to look like a good Christian, of saying, here's what's required of you. Just behave yourself. To being a Christianity, a, for, a, a Christianity that is a formational one, 
where you're not focused on how it looks and who's in and who's out and what are the boundary markers? Have they got the right tattoo? Do they have a fish on their car, which we used to do? Um, all the things that indicate, oh, yeah, they're obviously a Christian. And we stop focusing on that because that becomes Pharisaism because you can focus on the form, the vessel of how it all looks and completely miss the freedom that that vessel is supposed to carry because we've run out of things to talk about because all we know how to talk about is how to teach you how to make yourself look right and do the right stuff. And um, this is what happens often two generations down the track from a revival. It's like we want to protect, we want to institutionalise what God's done so we form the constitution and make the rules and here's how our movement, this is how we do things here. Obey the rules, behave yourself. And so it becomes like there's, there's the line, there's the fence and outside is death, I don't want to look like that. So I've just got to make sure I'm treading this line of the form because I know the rules and I know, the, I know where that line is. And so the pastor's job used to be just to explain to you where the line is so you don't fall off there and go worldly or something all of a sudden. But by focusing on this, uh, Paul talks about this in Romans and says, by, by focusing on the law, the law now, now my heart just becomes enamoured with the law and the rules and, and now I'm obligated to, to, to fall off the thing because I'm just focusing on balancing on the line. And it's like living in Eden and we've been created to live in this beautiful flourishing garden but all we're worried about is a fence outside where there's death. Saying, Stop worrying about the line for a moment and start focusing on freedom. Start forming your life and experiencing this life that God's given you. And understanding the promises that he made is not that you'd be better. Jesus didn't come and say, I've come that you might obey me better. I've come that you might know life, abundant life, life that is truly life, the Greek means. It's real life. It comes out of you. It's, it, your heart's fueled, and so you can't help but be on mission. And the old forms that we used to do that are just inadequate now. It's not working. It's not working for the generation coming through. They're, they're, the young kids are leaving the churches in droves because we haven't taught them how to live an abundant life. We're trying to teach them a set of rules that their society tells them doesn't matter anymore. And so it's just not working. The old form's inadequate. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom's not a matter of talk. It's a power. Power. I just had the blessing this weekend of being in, a, in another church, running a retreat with their elders and pastors and, and leaders. They're, they're, they're contemplating taking the same path that we're on which is essentially a path of life and renewal and inviting the Holy Spirit in. And uh, they're a very conservative church, have been for since 1957. And uh, a great church. As I prayed to them, I just thought the spiritual significance of this place. But they're, they're looking down the barrel of how do we take a church that's just for all this time just focused on the rules and being proud of the fact that those rules have been adhered to better than anyone else. You know? And what does freedom look like? And... Uh, just a, a big, hard question for churches to navigate these days. And uh, to be honest, I thought it easier. Let's just start a new one. Let's just, <laughs> let's just hit the reset button on this thing and say, is everyone good? We're here for renewal. We're here for God, spirit and truth. We all good? That's what we're doing because that's what we're doing. And uh, what you see is what you get. We've been doing it now all year and you may have noticed, oh, it's not that scary after all. This guy just invites God to be a part of it. That's it. That's what it can look like. So this is the age that you live in. And, and I guess the reason I bring it for you is to just acknowledge this journey that you're on, this difficulty that you live in, this series of tensions that is your life that you see as normal. And I want to encourage you that God's going to do it again. What he, what he always does, when the, the gospel is not under threat. God is not under threat. 
The church of Christ is not under threat. The more the pressure, the stronger we get. The more powerful the gospel becomes. I actually like it when there's a shaking going on. It gets rid of all the stuff that's unnecessary. It brings it back to the point where we're not relying on ourselves anymore. We're relying on him. Bless that baby. Everybody loves Evelyn, don't they? It's just priceless. So at the end of the day, I'm asking you to join us in this thing as we try to create something new. We create a wineskin around here and a wineskin in you that's flexible, that can relate to this world you're in, not be afraid of the world, but pursue the world. To flex with us as we try things differently. We try and move things around a bit. We try and engage and try and experiment and, and, get, and, and get away with that. It's disruptive when we do that, passing communion around. It's like, oh, that's different. Didn't quite work. Maybe it worked. I don't know. It was okay for me. But, but this allow us to be that the norm here is, is evolution and change of what we do. We allow it to change and relate to the world better. And I'm really asking you to invest your life in the emerging generation. To say, my life only finds its fulfilment when, when the, the generation following me is fueled and resourced. I'm not going to wait for a program. I'm not going to wait for someone to say who's a mentor and who's not. My life finds its fruitfulness in the life that's coming in behind me. And I'm going to invest everything I have, person to person, get to know them, mix it up, and do that. And it's going to require a change consistently, I guess, in the way we do things and the way I do things. And um, I'm just asking you to join us on that. This is, this is what we're here for. I didn't come here to plant a church that's just like every other church. We're not replicating anything. We're not identifying with anyone. We're just trying to say, what is God doing in this Kenmore area and the surrounding areas? And Father, give us wisdom. Give us courage. Give us grace. Give us compassion. And give us love because we're going to need all of it. But I think so far, it's just been a wonderful journey. I just can't imagine a greater group of people to come with us and there's more that will be coming. And uh, it's just an exciting adventure of what it means to be a Christian and flex those wineskins. Because we know that as disruptive as change is, as unsettling as it is in our own life, the comfort we find that as we, we lean into Christ through that and lean into each other and build relationships in that space. What we're building here is something that in the next 10, 20 and 30 years equips a new generation to be powerful leaders in the community. To, to be ready when this new revival begins to sweep through globally as people hunger and thirst for the gospel, that we're there, we're a vessel that can house that and we're ready for it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, none of us like the feeling of change and disruption. But Lord, the reality is this is the world we're in right now and so Father, we choose to embrace it knowing that you, you promise to always give us everything that we need to live a life of godliness and power. You always give us the grace we need. And so, Father, we lean into you. We, we put our eyes on you. And we know that as you've always been there, you've always done it for every generation, there's always been a new move. There's always been new wine. And if the wineskins break, Father, you create a new wineskin. So, Lord, I pray you give us the grace to be that new wineskin, that we wouldn't rely on, on our religious ways and our routines but rely on you instead, to look to you, to embrace and lean into disruption and become part of the new answer. Rather than relying on an untested system or an untested philosophy, we rely on you and that the fragrance that we bring as we go into the community is your fragrance and people like that. So bless us as we embrace that challenge in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.